Weekly Lost Podcast, episode 143. Hey, cool, you fixed it. Don't expect anything. The chances of getting a signal are slim at best. Static's good, right? No. Reception is good. Wait, what's that? It's Russo's signal. Oh, crap. But this radio has a wider bandwidth. <laughs> That's what you call a party in a podcast. Hold it! Stop, do you hear that? Welcome to the weekly Lost Edition of the Generally Speaking Production Network. Now, here are your hosts, Stephanie and Cliff. Actually, it's your host, Chef Mark Tafoya, this week. Stephanie and Cliff are not with us. Well, actually, Cliff is with us, but he's a little bit under the weather. Hey, Cliff, how are you? Good, Chef Mark. How are you? <laughs> so I'm sort of uh, going to be driving this week because Cliff isn't feeling so well. He's with us, and he's pushing all the buttons. But I'm going to sort of drive the conversation forward. And this week, it is the in-depth review of episode four of season four called Eggtown, and it was a Kate-centric episode this week. And we've got a few people on the line, and we're going to hope to hear a little bit about their reactions, and we're going to also delve a little bit into some of the discussion that happened on the message board this week. So, our first... <laughs> i got to laugh because I'm also reading the chat room here in the talk shoe, and we've got Hey Bulldog on there who says, Mark is driving the Dharma van. Look out. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully I'm going to be a little bit of a better driver than uh, Hugo. Uh, <laughs> this week, and I won't, I won't hit anyone. But if I do hit anyone, I'll be sure that it's going to be another. <laughs> Absolutely. And just so those people in the chat room know, I just put a link to the show notes that we're looking at, which has all the screen captures that will be put into uh, this week's show notes. Yeah, we've got some some show notes, and uh, Cliff has done a really good job of throwing a bunch of photos into a Google document. And uh, of course, I've never seen Cliff's show notes before, and I, I like that that you've got a lot of images here. Uh, that come from uh, from Wikipedia, from some of the lost message boards, and uh, some of the lost Easter eggs uh, websites as well. So it's it's very visual kind of show notes. So if you're in the chat room, take a look at those. Uh, this week, uh, it's interesting because it seems to me from the message boards and from what I've heard that uh, we're really divided in the lost community this week about this episode, whether it was a really intense episode or whether it was just a filler episode. Uh, what do you think, Cliff? Well, you heard my initial reaction, I'm sure. If not, um, I just said, St- Stephanie kind of, she kind of liked it. She, it wasn't the best, but she really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was the worst episode of this season. And if anything, it was just barely better than the three that I hated from the first six last season. And there was some question as to whether Cliff uh, disliked this, this uh, episode as much as he disliked the episode featuring Nikki and Paolo from last year. <laughs> no, no, I did dislike Nikki and Paolo being introduced much more than this one. What was the name of that episode again? Oh, I can't even remember. The, the Billy D. Williams episode. Yes, Expose, I think. Expose. There we go. Yeah, that was um, horrible. So Cliff, in Cliff's opinion, this was a filler episode, but I think, uh, in my opinion, actually, this was an episode that gave us more information, and actually, it's funny, we usually talk about background information, but I think we can fairly call this foreground information for, uh, for this week, because it gave us a lot of information about what happens in the flash forwards that we haven't been privy to. Uh, we learned a lot more about what happened with Kate, and, and really, honestly, that she, you know, sort of how her life took a turn. Uh, in the future versus how it had been in the past. 
Uh, most notably, there was a very important scene in the episode between Kate and Claire where they talk about motherhood. And, uh, you know, Claire is trying to get Kate to take on a little bit of motherly um, motherly instinct, shall we say. And Kate was a little bit resistant. But we found out in the flash forwards that Kate is uh, actually has embraced that. And for for whatever reason that we don't know about, and there's much speculation, Kate is now uh, mo- plain mother to Aaron in the quote-unquote real world. Yeah, I, I just want to uh, absolutely, and, and the question is: is is Kate uh, is Claire alive? There's a lot of discussion of whether or not that uh, was there some kind of war between uh, that happened on the island, and they just got separated, and they had to get away, uh, and that's why maybe Jack thinks we need to go back. Um, there's a lot of talk about brainwashing and stuff like that. I just want to do want to say one thing. I, I don't think this was a filler episode, and I, I want to go on the record for saying that I I never I, I don't believe that we will ever have another filler episode of Lost, um, and that's because I I do believe that they are telling the story with the exact number of episodes they know how many they have left. So there there is no need for a filler. I personally did not like it just because it's Kate. I don't like her. And I'm, I'm, I was truly sick of the love triangle. You know? And we know, yeah, we know that Cliff has very little patience for, uh, shall we say, character development when it comes to uh, discussing char- uh, maybe less than savory character traits. <laughs> and, and definitely Kate is a, is a very conflicted character. She is she's an antihero at best. Uh, she is someone who has a very spotty past. She's done a lot of questionable, you know, morally questionable deeds in the past. Yet she is a central figure, and we know that Kay, that uh, that Cliff has a difficult time with those kind of characters, both in Lost as well as some of the other shows. Uh, I know you you've got a lot of uh, a lot of animosity towards Izzy, who is a big character in Grey's Anatomy, who is also very has had some very morally questionable actions. With with Izzy, and and of course th- we're not going to turn this into an episode of Grey's. But uh, but with Izzy, I just don't think that 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 it, it was the whole the what she did to to Denny and stealing a heart just means to me that you know by golly she cannot be a doctor today based yeah. upon the decisions that she made and I know it's a drama I know it's TV and, but it's just darn impossible for me to swallow that and so right other than and that, you gotta I mean, you gotta love it that that Cliff sees uh, tends to see life and and morally uh, unambiguous uh, means, right? And I think that's, that's one of the best uh, characteristics of you. Uh, but like it or not, there are a lot of people in life who have struggled on a moral level. And Kate is a, probably a really good example of someone who struggles on a moral level. Well, she's, she is a heroine in, in the sense of the, of the storyline. I mean, she's, she's a central figure, and uh, you tend to identify with her as much as possible. But she's done some really questionable things in her life, and she and she's the kind of character where you see her on a collision course towards making choices that are probably not the best choices for her. Yet you 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 kind of empathize with her and understand why she's making those choices. And this is a one of the few episodes where we've actually seen her in the future. She's she's made a change. She's clearly made a change. She's made a commitment to actually being a mother, which you would never guess that she would have been uh, based on what we've seen in the past. Right. Absolutely. I, you know, going back to what you said, Mark, and, and I apologize, my temperature right now is like 102.7. 
but I want to make sure that I, I, if I understood you right, I, I want people to understand that Cliff is not on any kind of high horse uh, because I, I, I have moral fail, failures myself and, and I make some some questionable moral decisions myself. And so just want to make that clear. Absolutely not. And okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that I've noticed uh, from listening to you a lot in the past, you tend to look at characters in a way that says – Look, if they make choices that are going against either their stated principles or uh, what one might think are you know, the, the, the actions of a good person, if they've made uh, choices that are bad, so to speak, I mean, obviously, you know, Kate, is, Kate has killed someone. Right. She's she's made some some choices in her life that are that are less than good. I mean, you know, you certainly want to teach your children to behave in the way that Kate has behaved in her life. Right. But at the same time, I think what makes her a compelling character is that you you know you tend to identify with her, and and whether that's because she's this you know very compelling, gorgeous, and also charismatic figure, that's one thing. But also, I think people people probably identify with her. I think a lot of us have struggled in the same way that all of these characters in Lost struggle. And, you know, we've mentioned many times before that this is a show about the struggle for redemption. Everyone in this show is struggling with their character and with their choices in a way that makes them very interesting. We all struggle. None of us lives in a black and white world. None of us are all good. None of us are all bad. Um, and... I think in, in Lost, we see that a lot. And, of course, there are different different levels of that. Ben, I think, is the kind of person everyone loves to hate. But even he is a character that you would understand why he makes the choices he makes based on his belief system. Uh, Kate is one of those people we're not really sure of what her belief structure is. And I think that's what makes her an interesting character. Right. The only thing I can say about Kate is is I can't remember. I, you know, I really do believe it was the whole talk about the, the love triangle and how much they – they really brought it up um, during the hiatus between season two and season three uh, that really turned me off on Kate. Uh, but And just how often we saw her flashback episodes last year. Just too many of them, if you ask me. But, you know, it, it, as far as... Well, you're still I, thinking about Taco Night, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is the, the, whole, the whole action of, of what is her greatest sin, what is the greatest thing that she's done wrong? And that is, the, you know, blowing up the house of her stepfather that that beat and uh you know that beat as her mom and all i can say is that yes i believe in some pretty strong moral decisions yes no black white but at the same time i could not imagine what a child must go through growing up seeing their their mother abused in such a way and at this and so all i can say is that i hope that i would never be put in such a situation but I can almost identify with the at least the thought of ending it all and protecting my mom. And I think it's interesting, too, because the choices that Kate has made are very similar to some of the choices that Sawyer has made. I mean, the, the creation of the, of the person that is now Sawyer, I mean, obviously, his name is James Ford. He's not Sawyer. Isn't it funny but, how we forget that? I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I don't know if you do, but for me, I forget that he's James Ford until they mention it. And, and he, he, yeah, he very consciously took on the identity of Sawyer. He actually replicated the, the M.O. of his perpetrator, you know, this, this con man who swindled his mom and, you know, sort of fell in, you know, got the mom to fell in love with him and uh, 
his, you know, James Ford's father became jealous, and there was this terrible crime of passion that happened that was sort of the, the, the formational aspect of James Ford's life. And interesting enough that Kate has this terrible action that, that was a very similar kind of action, you know, someone trying to protect their parent, their mother, from this terrible action. And of course, as a child, you really are, are powerless. James Ford was powerless. Kate felt powerless until the time that she took power. And of course, she did it in this really terrible way. You know, she killed someone. Uh, she, you know, she blew up a house that a guy was in and he was, he was a bad guy. But uh, so, you know, there, I, you know, to see it in completely black and white, to say that Kate is an evil figure, I think is a, can be a little bit short-sighted. Right. But at any rate, so we've got this very complex character. She's connected with another very complex character with a similar background. And then this other character who has to fix everything. So it does really, you know, whether you like it or not, creates a very interesting triangle. Yes, it does. It, and, and a triangle that I am just ready to put behind us. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think there, then, then you get into the level where on the storytelling level, yeah. when, you're, you know, when you're telling a story and you're playing this thing over and over again, I think that sometimes people just get tired. And, and quite frankly... The, the stuff about loss that is really fascinating is the, is the interpersonal relationships, but it's also this really fascinating backstory that has to do with kind of science fiction and uh, mystical qualities. And uh, some of us are getting like, wait a minute, okay, enough of this trio, enough of this, this, uh, this sort of triangle. We want to hear more about the island. We want to hear about more about John Locke's relationship to this figure of Jacob who may be the smoke monster or maybe, you know, the magnetic forces of the island. I mean, you know, people are really interested in that. So I could see how this kind of episode would be very frustrating for people. Yeah, for, especially for the mystery people. Yeah. So... So we've got Jeremy in the in the chat room now, Fleegon, who uh, has said it's over. It's become a quadrangle, uh, and I guess he's uh, referring to the fact that now Aaron, in the future, uh, flash forwards, is part of Kate's life. And as anyone who has ever been uh, connected to a new or recent mother, we know that you know uh, as much as she may love you as an adult human being, <laughs> she's going to love that that child more than anyone else. And and something's happened with Kate in the interim between the time that we see her on the island and the future time that has gotten her to really fall in love with this child and and call her her own. Right. Call him. Yeah, absolutely. Or is it? I wonder if she believes some of that, you know? I, I mean, of course, no, I, I guess I don't wonder that because it, it everything seems to be a lie. I mean, Kate and Jack together are lying. That just, I, I think that just took me the wrong way. And I guess we should give some background there. The lying part is when, so we're in a flash forward. We're at Kate's trial, which presumably is, is a, a while after the events of the island. And for as best as we can tell, it's probably actually in our present tense. So it's probably somewhere in 2007. So it's about three years after the events of the island. And Kate is on trial. And of course, the, the, the lawyer calls Jack as a character witness, who then basically creates a fiction in his testimony about the island. I mean, rather than there being um, dozens of survivors between uh, tailies and forward section people, he said that there are only eight survivors. Only eight people lived from this crash. And uh, of them, presumably the Oceanic Six, and two others, 
uh, for whom there's a lot of speculation as to who these two other people could have been. And Jack spins the tale of Kate being the heroine who saved them all. And the idea being that, okay, she's, made, she's done these crimes, they predated this terrible incident, but that the fact that she saved these people is supposed to say a lot about her character. Um, so what it says to us, the viewers, is that, okay, they must have gotten into some amazing deal to get off this island so that they will do anything to protect the fact that there are a number of people who will continue to live and be on this island. Yeah, I, there there has to be some light. I mean, definitely the fact that that he mentions there were only eight survivors, two didn't make it, says that, wow, there's something very elaborate going on. Yeah, and, uh, and we don't know about who those other two people are. So it could have been that, uh, I mean, a lot of speculation is that, well, look, for – for Kate to have Aaron in her custody and to call herself his mother and to call Aaron her child, something pretty uh, extreme must have happened. Kate, uh, Claire must have passed away for that to have happened because we see how little her maternal instincts are at play on the island. But now that she's back in L.A., it seems as though her whole life is centered on Aaron and that she will do anything to, to make this child uh, be the center of her life. Uh, so something pretty serious must have happened. Either she had an epiphany about her her uh, possibilities of motherhood, or something pretty serious must have happened to her friend Claire that she felt guilty about to um, to mother this child. And some people in the chat room have speculated that that like so many other aspects of Kate's personality, maybe she maybe this is a lie too. Maybe she's using Aaron as a cover. I don't know if I personally feel that that's the case. Um, I, I think that. Um, I respect the draw of motherhood in in women too much to be that um, sort of uh, cynical about about it with Kate. I mean, I know that she, you know, she's done a lot of conning in her life, but I don't know that she could con that to the, such a degree. And and what we see in the episode shows that she really loves this child. Yeah, whatever's but- happened in the interim, she loves this child. She does. I, that that is something I think you do see at the very end. Uh, and of course, if nothing else, they did answer finally the season finale. I've got to go back. He'll be wondering about me or whatever. Right. So Kate, so. yeah. So so the season finale of season three, we have Jack, who is an alcoholic and he's a mess and he's got a long beard, and he's saying that he meets Kate at the airport. Say, Kate, we've got to go back. Uh, and he's desperate to get back to the island so much so that he uses his golden ticket to make trans-Pacific flights every weekend in in the desperate hope that the that the plane will crash. Um, and Kate, of course, is saying, "Hey, you know, she does, she certainly isn't using her golden ticket. She's staying at home with this mysterious him." And of course, at the end of season three, we all speculated, "Ooh, who is it? Is it Sawyer? Has she married Sawyer? And he's they're they're back in the real world. Uh, is there some other man?" But no, the him. <sighs> that we're talking about is the child, is really Aaron. And everybody, we want to welcome to the panel discussion here, Steva. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that's my dog, Steva, and he hears someone in the hallway, and he's, uh, he's letting them know not to come close. Very good, Steva. All right, so uh, who else do we want to talk about? Anybody else? Oh, wait, Andrea. Oh, we got uh, Andrea Zuniga, who is calling from Miami. She's on the line. Hi, Andrea. I was just wondering, wh- why do you think Jack is so apprehensive about wanting to see the baby? Do you think, um, like some people in the chat room, that they're saying that it's because he knows it's his nephew or something else we're going to find out about? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, so far, there has been nothing uh, 
actually extant in the in the writing that tells us that Jack has any indication that that he has any relation to Claire, and um, and I think that's important. I think we haven't yet heard that uh, his father, Christian Shepherd, is actually also father to Claire. Um, so, may I, I don't know whether something has happened in the between the time they're rescued and the you know the flash forwards that lets Jack know that he has any relation to the baby. Uh, do you have a thought on that, Andrea, or were you just questioning it? Let's see if I can. Oh, I was just wondering. I'm thinking that <clears throat> I was I was just thinking that um, maybe he does find out, and he, or whatever it is that happens to Claire, because I don't think Claire would just let go of baby Aaron so easily unless something major happens. Maybe yeah. he feels guilty about whatever it is that happened. It, that is interesting because I think, you know, based on what we saw in season two, Claire was at first pretty indifferent. She didn't want to keep the baby. Uh, she got offered some money. There was a whole storyline with a psychic who told her, you know, you must raise this baby. Do not let this raise baby be raised by another. And, of course, that's a very interesting uh, way of saying it because, uh, of course, in this series we have these people called others. So if you say, do not let this baby be raised by an other, there's two ways of interpreting that, right? An other, meaning any other person, or an other, which means someone in Ben's camp. So right, there's right. that storyline. And also, we saw an epiphany happen in Claire, someone who wasn't originally planning to be a mother, who, through the struggle that happened on the island, through the, the incidents that happened to her with Ethan being kidnapped and being drugged, and then you know someone trying to take her baby, and then the trauma of birth, she actually, she really is in love with this child. And I think that's, that's the, the maternal instinct we see in all women, right? That the, the moment they have their child, they think, wow, this is an important thing, and I really love this baby. Uh, and it's very clear from everything we've seen this season that Claire really loves this baby. She is absolutely committed to keeping this child, to taking care of this child, uh, and as was Charlie. I mean, even so, so much that Charlie gave his life so that Claire and the baby could be safe. Uh, it, it seems unlikely that Claire would so easily give up this baby. So, so something really serious must have happened between now and the flash forwards for, uh, for Kate to have been in custody of this child. Definitely. Yeah. So um, I guess it remains to be seen. We, have no, we haven't been given a clue from the writing as to whether Jack has any indication that this is uh, that this child is related to him or that Claire is related to him. Well, here, so here's what I'd like to just interject for just a second. Um, hope I, this is not a spoiler um, if for anybody that does not know this. There were mobile sods, uh, mobile sods that were made available during the summer. You can go to uh, abc.com and browse through Lost, and you'll see them. They're called Missing Pieces, and uh, if basically the very last one is called And So It Begins. And basically it takes you right back to season one, episode one, before, like probably about one and a half minutes or maybe five minutes before the opening of Jack's eye. And what we see in this missing piece is that Christian Shepherd is literally on the island uh, talking to Vincent, telling him to go wake Jack up. He's got work to do. And so... 
and then of course we saw uh, a couple weeks back Hurley sees inside the cabin he sees Jacob in the chair or somebody in the chair and, and it looks suspiciously like Christian Shepherd in fact if you they made a point to show Christian Shepherd's white sneakers or whatever in his suit or I think it was um if I remember correctly but in that missing pieces they made a point to show his his suit and his shoes and it was absolutely clear that regardless of whether or not you believe that that image is Christian Shepherd, which there has been some great screen captures out there uh, that'll, that just, for me, confirm it 100%. Uh, but <laughs> the folks who must have HDTVs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unlike me. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that, I definitely believe that, that Christian Shepherd is on the island. And what I, what I think is if it may be that that. Jack does find out. He does find out about Claire. He does find out about Aaron being his nephew. And it happens through what we're going to see in like season six when Jack finally finds out that his father's still alive and on the island. So you, do, do you really think that the, the visions, so to speak, the vision of Christian Shepherd, the vision of Dave, the vision of this unicorn, uh, the polar bear, things like that, do you think that these are, are manifestations of actual things in reality that maybe – through whether it's time travel or through uh, by location, you think these are actual instances of people, or do you th- or do you think, as is possible, that it's uh, someone's own mind, someone's own subconscious that's at play? You know, I I don't know that I have a clear understanding of what I believe with when it comes to the visions on the island. I I have to one of the things that just blows me away is that Hurley has never seen Christian Shepherd before in his life at least not any way that we've ever seen connected yet. Uh, and when he looks in the cabin and he literally sees Christian Shepherd, it doesn't make sense for me to think that that came from his own subconscious mind. So whether or not that the island has some kind of mysterical, mysterious powers that cause him to see... I like see. that, mysterical. Mysterical is good because it's, it's, a, it's a combination of mystical, mysterious, and hysterical. There you go. <laughs> Which are all elements of this show. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some kind of mysterical uh, thing happening where, where the island is implanting what the island wants these people to see. So now, here's a question. I is don't the, th- island, I do is not... the island implanting uh, spiced pork? Is the island implanting yes, spam? In the- I think so. Um, <laughs> so. We saw some di- Dharma spiced pork, which I think, of course, has to be a Monty Python reference. Well, I just want to show folks, um, if you're in the chat room, um, we'll post, let's see if I still have the, uh, yeah, there's the show notes for the people who have just come in. If you scroll all the way down to the very end of this document, you'll see Dharma does have some uh, Dharma spam. And I think this is just an ongoing joke, you know, an ongoing joke with, uh, from, with uh, from as early as these we got these, yeah, we got these, uh, these drops, these mysterious drops that continue to happen all the time that just continuously supply this island with uh, modern conveniences uh, between washing ma- modern washing machines and uh, cereal, milk, uh, salad dressing, uh, chocolate bars, and, of course, spam that all have these generic labels with the Dharma label on them. Can I tell you uh, something think- that makes me angry? Um, there, there was somebody that made Dharma generic, um, labeling that you could put over cereal and candy bars and beer and cans of soda. (laughs) 
And and that was the most awesome thing to do. I think it was the coolest thing. And they made available these things in PDF documents so you could print them out. They're already to the right size. You just cut them out <laughs> along the lines and you tape them to, to these things when you have your lost parties. Do you know what happened? These people got sued. They or got not, sued. They, they, they didn't get sued. They 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 didn't, they got threatened. They were. They got given, a cease and desist letter. Probably they got a cease and desist letter saying that they must remove these off uh, the, off of the website. I want to say that is ridiculous. You know the thing about corporate corporate. They got to understand that there's a there's a fine line between protecting your assets and shutting down the people who are your bread and butter. I mean. Someone who would print that out has got to be a diehard fan. No doubt. And I don't think that they would probably that they would misuse that in any way and sort of make money off of your off of your brand. I completely That's, understand if the guy was selling them. I, yeah, by we got to be upset with ABC for that. Yeah, I, I don't am. think that Damon and, and Carlton and or or JJ J. Abrams would be upset. I think they would be thrilled that their fans are going to such extremes to uh, pretend that they're in a hatch. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> well, the thing is, is that we had this you know live lost party here in Cincinnati. And I searched high and low for those, and oh man, it they had was, already been taken off the internet at that yeah, point. Yeah, they had been taken off, and oh, what a shame. Yeah, it was. But anyway, so uh, speaking of Dharma logos and stuff like that, let's go to another screen capture. If everybody will scroll to the top of our show notes, yes, um, this is this means nothing. Uh, but I just thought it was great that the props department uh, did not think to kind of to mask. Uh, this. Yeah, this is a good example of now. I've always been a proponent of saying, look, we can take the clues that they've obviously written into the script and we can take those into consideration. I, I sometimes, especially on the boards, am critical of people taking their theories in wild directions where it's something that they think about and then they, they, they desperately look for examples of how they can prove their theory. And I, I'm more to say, look, if it's really in the show, if it really, really is in the plot, we can take that as a clue. But there are certain things that are just a, a, a relic, so to speak, of production. Uh, when you're making a film and you're making a TV show, you know, you're sort of limited to real life. And quite often the props department is going to buy a cup and they're going to put a silk screen of a Dharma logo on it. But they've bought the cup and the cup came from some sort of commercial venue. And in this instance, we see Kate drinking out of a cup. She upturns the cup and you see on the bottom there's a, a printing on it. So of course these crazy fans are going to go and desperately <laughs> look for it and we've got a screen capture of a, of a close-up of the bottom of the cup which is a mainstays trademark home uh, brand and it says dishwasher, microwave and oven safe made in China. So now, Darm, quite, we know where the drops are coming from at least. It's quite <laughs> clear to me that that's not the case yeah. that this is a prop yep. very basic generic mug that someone has silk screened a Dharma logo onto and the props department did that but yet with the rabidness of the fandom out here in Lost Land people are trying to turn meaning into that I'm sure people have looked under uh, Wikipedia I'm sure they have searched high and low for mainstays and they've probably come up with some theories about how that is really the secret clue that unravels the entire it, mystery. Is it isn't mainstays what the the kind of uh, either it's either Walmart or Target. I don't know which it is, but I think that's the main store that that sells those. Yeah, it's um, certainly not anything really fancy. That's no, for sure. but but anyway, what I think would have been cool, and I think somebody else, uh, Chris Lackey, in our chat room said, wouldn't it have been awesome if they actually did go so far as to put Widmore Industries on the bottom of it? So that now, people see that, would if, catch if it. If they had, or if they had put, you know, Pack Industries, which of course is yep. the company owned by uh, by Sun's father, or 
or Hanso or Dharma or any of those things that have to do with the lost universe, then it would have been a clue. The fact that it's just a mainstays thing, I think it was just a prop department. Yep. You know, this was a regular you know, union job and the props department did what they do and they didn't think that these rabid fans would would uh, read meaning into it. Now, I think there are examples in the lost uh, mythology where the writers have taken some of these things that the fans have sort of gone crazy about, which was just a, a an accident of production. And I think they've actually written some of these things into the storyline as Easter eggs or jokes or they've actually even said, hey, that could actually play in our storyline. As much as people think that, that they've plotted out every single aspect of the show from beginning to end, I think that there is plenty of room within such a convoluted story to add layers of meaning that they didn't plan in the, in the beginning. And certainly uh, it's not out of the, order, out of the uh, realm of reasoning to think that they would throw in some of these just as a joke and actually ravel them into the storyline. Now, of course, the, 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 the mug makes me think really a lot about um, the, the storyline of The Usual Suspects and Kaiser Soze. Uh, if anyone has ever, and I've, without doing too much of a spoiler, if anyone's seen The Usual Suspects, you know, you know the idea of sort of uh, making the plot follow a random course of events. And uh, there's certainly, the convolutions of this story certainly lend one to believe that at times the writers are just grasping at straws and, and fitting things in where, where possible. Yeah, I, I I do like how they fit a lot of things in to kind of tie into the mystery things. Yeah. And speaking of which, let's do some exploring the mystery. I think we've got some segments, don't we, Cliff? Yes, we do. Okay. We're lost on an island running from boars and monsters, freaking polar bears. I've looked into the eye of this island, and what I saw was beautiful. Lost. Exploring the mystery. <laughs> Good old Rem, our friend up in Canada who put that together for us. That's shared for high production values. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, yeah, talking about some of the the exploring the island stuff, I just want to say, share with you one thing. And, again, if you guys are following in the chat room with our show notes, I, I know that somebody just came in. I think Kim and a few other people have come in. So there's the link to the show notes. I'm going to pull up something. Um, there's a picture of a guy – uh, with a, a funky looking beard, and he's outside of the court. He's outside of the courthouse, and he's screaming at Kate. And he's screaming at Kate. But what's weird is if you go back and listen to it, he's screaming something that you cannot tell what it is. It's it's. In fact, it's quite clear that he's speaking backwards. It's the old Beatles trick. It's the old Beatles trick. <laughs> you know from the White Album where uh, there's, a, there's a track on the White Album where if you play it backwards, you get uh, Turn Me On, Dead Man in Revolution Number 9. Is that you what ever it did is? That? No. Yeah, I, I've heard about all those things. I keep... In college, people talk about the Beatles thing, and there's, a, there's this weird cryptic uh, audio on, on one of the Beatles records. And if you play it backwards, you, know, you, you have to have an old-fashioned LP record to do this, and you actually play it backwards, and you get the the, the the text, turn me on, dead man. And of course, people use this to hypothesize that actually Paul was dead. Paul McCartney must have been dead because what proves it is that on the cover of Abbey Road, he was the only one of the four who was barefoot. So that must have been proof. Of course, you know, it's, and it, it's just like Lost, right, for people to come up with these wild theories that, that may not have a re, uh, relation to reality. But in this case, someone turned it backwards, and what did they get? Well, here's the original, so I'll go ahead and play that first. Okay. 
Let's do this. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight to the spot where he says it. It's a, it sounds like he's saying yeah yeah yeah. We're getting you more. So here's here it is again. I'm gonna take it right to here. Okay, so there it is. Now here's what Dark UFO over at LostEasterEggs.blogspot.com did. He re, he rewound that or reversed it, and here's what it says. It's something like, oh, we oh, hate oh, you. We hate. <laughs> so you definitely hear something, we hate you. Yeah. So um, I, I wonder, I mean, that that's interesting. And I think that's very clever. And I think uh, as some people have said in the, uh, in the forums, that's probably more of a nod to us crazy people who would do just that, you know, isolate a bit of audio and turn it backwards. Uh, th- this show has inspired a lot of rabid fans to do crazy stuff and to create our own meaning. And if anything, I think the writers have just thrown those in to yes. sort of, you know, to sort of, it's an Easter egg. It's a, it's a, it's a reference. It's a something to, to give us something to do. I don't know that how this could possibly play into the real mythology of the island. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but they made they did make a point for this guy to be. I mean, why would why would this guy come and say we hate you? Why would he be in the crowd and scream? Unless it's just that the guy's a little bit upset about. Um, and and Iceberg says and mis- mistakenly say we hate you backwards. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I frequently speak backwards. I mean, you know, when I want to obfuscate my meaning, I just speak backwards. You know. When you want to what? <laughs> when I when I want to uh, uh, d- uh, uh, throw people off the scent of what I really mean. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, the most I ever say is, "I yay ont way a say ut way I yay." Yeah, the pig Latin thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know if it means anything, but it's cool. I love that they put that stuff in. I yeah. do. It's I, just I really fun do for think me. It's just it's just this wouldn't have happened in season one right. because I think they. Frankly, in my opinion, I think the writers weren't prepared for how rabid people would get in terms of their uh, their interpretations of this show. And I think it's a good example of you know something that I frequently talk about. I think humans are meaning making machines. We're we're hardwired. We're programmed to create meaning, uh, whether it's there or not. You know, we we need to understand the world. And I think as a result, we create meaning for ourselves just as a means of understanding. And we want to see things there that are there, whether whether they're meant to be or not. And I think that's an example where the, the writers have recognized that we're we're making crazy interpretations all over the place. So they're going to throw us some stuff just to just for fun, yeah. you know, just just because they can. And you know, the- uh, because the casual viewer of the show is never going to even catch that. To them, I mean, the first time I saw it, it was I was watching Kate. Yeah. You know, and I was I was commenting to myself that hey, you know, she's all made up. We've never seen her made up before because she's always been on the island. And quite frankly, she's hotter without any makeup than she is with makeup. Yeah. So the only thing I would say is that there are a lot of people that this literally keeps them up all night. And for me, I find it enjoyable. I find it fun. 
But for me, it's all entertainment. I just enjoy, I, I enjoy <laughs> that other people found this stuff. Yeah, and we've got someone in the chat room saying, I think it's Aaron's dad screaming, we hate you, LOL. Well, Aaron's dad certainly, uh, we, we saw Aaron's dad in one of the yeah, early. Yeah, that, that uh, would be Thomas. Season two. Thomas and and of course this is the you know Kate, uh, Cliff had a very uh, important theory early on about the, <laughs> the Thomas theory. He he thought he had the whole thing figured out, uh, and we haven't heard hiding our hair from, <laughs> from Thomas in a while. No, but uh, I tell it you really what, didn't look like Thomas. But maybe Thomas aged and grew a beard. Who knows? Let me tell you, if if at the end of this series. This all comes around, and the answer to everything revolves around Claire, Aaron, and Thomas. I am just going to do – I don't know what I'm going to do, but – You're going to do backflips, right? I am going – yeah, I will learn how to do a black backflip. We're going to – and, we'll, of course, we'll have to see that psychic, that Australian psychic. Oh, yeah. well, th- I love that they brought him back in with an Echo, oh, Echo episode. So, which again, I think shows a little bit of importance to that character. And I would not be surprised if we see Richard Malkin again. Possibly. I, I mean, uh, you know, one of my interpretations is that, you know, as someone who has worked in, in the industry, and I think it's, you know, writers have a tendency, there, there is a degree to which this is all planned, and then there's a degree to which they sit in a writer's room and say, what would work this week? You know, they have a, they have a general structure of their storyline, and then they have like, hey, we need to fill in this week with, you know, 48 minutes of show, what kind of stuff are we going to pull and, uh, and, and, you know, do that's going to be fun. And I think some, you know, to a certain extent, they are sort of just uh, pulling stuff, you know, out of their back pocket and, and just sort of inventing as they go along. So there are certain stuff that really is, I think, part of the underlying structure that they've had since the beginning and a lot, a lot of stuff that just sort of comes along and then some stuff that's very tongue in cheek. Absolutely. So, Let's go down to this other stuff, and this is why I'm glad that you're here, Mark. Not only because I don't feel good, but you are the mastermind behind books and knowledge of all things. Uh, uh, <laughs> not so much. All right. I know a few books. But yeah, I think what you're, you're getting at is that we've got Sawyer. Now, Sawyer is an interesting character because he, he tries hard to paint himself as a, as a hick, as a redneck, as a good old boy. But this is a very literate guy. I mean, in addition to reading, what has he read? Charlotte's Web. He's read uh, several interesting books. This week, he's reading uh, in a, uh, a translation of a Spanish book. Uh, actually, it's from, where was it published originally? It was published in Argentina, and it's in Spanish, and it's called La Invención de Morel. It's a, it's a, a novel, uh, The Invention of Morel, or Morel's Invention. And again, some intrepid Lost fans have have screen captured and they figured out what this book is. And they've even told us down to the the person who translated it, which is Ruth Elsie Sims. And uh, it's a novel uh, by Adolfo uh, Bioy Casares, published in 1940. And we have some notes from, uh, I guess, from Wikipedia. Yeah, this is Wikipedia. The novel shares some elements with a 1934 novel XYZ by Clemente Palma. And with better known, The Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, the latter being the more influential of the two. Uh, Of course, there's been several film adaptations of The Island of Dr. Moreau. The Island of Dr. Moreau basically is a story where you've got this isolated island and a mad scientist who is trying to perfect 
uh, he, he's basically playing God and he's, and he's uh, combining animals and humans to create the perfect being. And of course, the, his island is riddled with the failed levels of the experiment. Uh, of course, we've got another island with a lot of experiments going on, and we've, got, we've seen some, uh, some references to failed things, most notably the, the latest uh, uh, experiment with the rabbit, right? Uh, what was that? Uh, what was oh, the number yes. on that? Oh, number seven, was it? Or number 15? Number 15, I think, 15. was the rabbit. So, uh, so people have isolated this, this book, the, uh, La Invención de Morel, or Morel's Invention. Um, so we've seen, uh, in the same way, other works of fiction share some elements with this novel rather than with the novels that influenced it. For example, fans of the video game Myst believe this novel is one of its sources of inspiration, while the plot of the episode Dave from the show Lost mirrors one of Fugitive's theories that he is on a psychiatric hospital dreaming he is on an island. Of course, we remember the episode Dave from a Hurley flashback in season, was that season two or season three? I think that was season two. Okay. And so we've got Dave who was, uh, who was played by an actor who used to be on uh, Sex and the City. Uh, and he, and uh, he's this sort of figure that shows up presumably only in Hurley's mind, but we question as to whether it's in reality. And uh, Hurley, of course, we know, has lived in a psychiatric hospital in the past, and we know now that he ends up in a psychiatric hospital in the future. And the question is, is this all happening in someone's mind, in someone's deranged, uh, twisted mind, or is this happening in reality? And I guess that's, the, that's supposedly the reference. Uh, and could, of it course, all, in- could it all be uh, going in baby Aaron's mind? It could all be going in baby Aaron's mind inside a snow globe. Inside a snow globe. <laughs> hold, hold on. Ba- bad timing, but... Up, up. <laughs> there you go. For anyone who's old enough to actually remember the show St. Elsewhere. <laughs> and yes. the famous ending of the show St. Elsewhere, where the whole thing happened inside the mind of an autistic person who was looking at a snow globe. Too funny. All right, so <laughs> what's this next book? I didn't go and get any information on it, but it's the one that Ben has already read. And... Um, and, of course, John comes and brings that to him with his eggs. Yeah, I didn't really see a note of that. And, of course, we see only in your screen capture, we see uh, it's a Philip K. Dick novel, um, who, is, of course, is a well-known uh, mystery writer. And then it looks like from the cover that it's Valise, V-A-L-I-S. I personally don't know anything about this novel. I, I think really that what's significant about this is that John is making the last two eggs, of course, yep. and, he's, and he's serving them to, to Ben, and he's bringing him something to read. And, of course, this, the, the, what's important here is that John has taken ownership of this house, and he's taken Ben prisoner. And, of course, it's Ben's house. I mean, this is the house that Ben has lived in, and, of course, he's got this basement that conveniently happens to have some prison rooms. So it makes you wonder what Ben must have been doing with this place for a lot of years. And uh, the tables are turned, essentially. Ben is now prisoner in the house that he built and that he owns, and John Locke has given him something to read, you know, presumably because he's being a, a, a benevolent jailer. Of course, what's funny is that when he happens in the book, Ben says, hey, I've already read it. It's my book. You took this off my bookshelf. Uh, I think that that's really all that we're talking about in terms of the reference. I don't know that there is a, a specific reference to the fact that this is a Philip K. Dick novel. Right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Amanda from Michigan has put some other things in there. I think that it wasn't necessarily this novel, but I have heard some other people talk about the fact that that it's the style of novels that this guy wrote that, yeah. that said more than anything. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was kind of a, as someone in, as uh, Amanda in the uh, chat room has said, he was a trippy writer. He was part of that that uh, that era of '60s writers who uh, who did a lot of acid and wrote. Uh, so his his stories were kind of crazy and trippy, and uh, yeah, we have a, a, a Scanner Darkly, we've got uh, Total Recall. These were all stories originally written by Philip K. Dick. Um, again, I don't know anything about Valise in in particular. Very cool. Well, let's move on to the next screen capture here. We have Baby Aaron laying in the crib, and Stephanie and I could not decide. We could not agree on how old this kid is, but I would say that he's. In I think an, he's about three. Yeah, I think he would be about three, and I think we have a caller that came in, called in and gave us the answer. So that that'll be in the listener feedback, I think. And I am happy to see from the screen capture that I am somewhat vindicated from the other night when I said it was a crib and Stephanie insisted it was a bed. And I said, well, I think it was actually a bed crib. And we see from the photo that it is a bed crib. Yeah, it's what, it's, we, it's what it we call is a, bed. a toddler bed. Oh, there we go. It's a toddler bed. He's at least, he's at least two or three years old. <laughs> and it's got sides to it and a back so the kid can't roll out. But it's, but it's definitely sort of halfway between a bed and a crib. Yeah. And this kid is big. He, he is a big kid. He's a little big. For, he's he is. I will have to give Stephanie credit. He is a little big for that bed. I would say. Yeah, but, but uh, and it's funny for for Steph to say that because I remember uh, several months back when Stephanie was joking about when they had a scene with Claire on the beach holding Aaron, and she's like, "This kid is huge." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, C M Sawyer from our forum uh, had wrote something and. Uh, he actually posted something, and it all comes from lost.qubit.net. Would you write uh, read what CM Sawyer read, wrote in yeah. the form? Yeah, so he says, I apologize if this has been discussed, but I had a killer cold the past few days, and I know Cliff can identify with that. Oh, yeah. I did a search and couldn't find anything, so I'm posting it. Look at the bottom frame of the picture at the painting to the right of Kate. That's a playing card in the painting. We saw Daniel on the beach using playing cards in this episode. And of course, uh, we refer to the fact that he was doing some kind of memory game, trying to rem- trying to know what was on the face of those cards. With the cards, of course, being uh, being turned uh, so you couldn't see what the cards were. So there was there was some kind of reference to the fact that he was either trying to remember the cards or that he was actually trying to divine what was on the other side of the cards without seeing them. Right. Uh, and so his question, C.M. Sawyer's question, is, "What does this mean?" I'll not even guess. As Sherlock Holmes once said, it is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. I think, of course, that quote is very appropriate uh, given my criticisms because I think so many Lost fans tend to want to twist the, the, the evidence and to twist the facts to suit their theories because they are pet theories yeah. rather than and throwing out their theories because they don't necessarily conform to the facts. Right. Um, and so the question essentially is that there, you know, you, you see this room, it's got decorations, it's got some paintings, and somehow in the painting there is a playing card. And uh, we saw playing cards in the episode, there, so there must be a connection. Again, I would tend to lay on the, fa- on the side of that, hey, the prop department just needed to decorate the room. And right. they have to feature someone's paintings. Maybe the- it was the, maybe the artist was a friend of someone in the, in the, production crew well I, I read through some of the discussion that was in that thread on our forum at gspn.tv slash forum uh, shameless plug um, and if you notice you see the little houses at the top um, and those are kind of kind of reminiscent to some things we say I think we saw on a uh, certain mural but um, I, you, you see the kid riding on the bike and it's and of course they're also reminiscent of row houses in England so maybe this is a Charlie reference yeah 
But anyway, it's it's kind of like, why is this random card, playing card there? But somebody said, you know, one of the things that, that artists sometimes do is they try to put themselves into the mind of a child when they when they draw things like this. And and perhaps maybe this this artist was one of those people that when he thinks, when he sees a bicycle, he reminisces about putting cards into the spokes into of the spokes. bike. So it makes the fun sound when you're riding on your on your car on your bike. Exactly. So yeah. Anyway. Well, what I thought was more interesting about this room was that the instant that Kate walked into the room, I was brought back to the room inside the hatch in the island where yes. Ethan kidnapped Claire when he was trying to take her baby, and they decorated it. it absolutely, was decorated. It was painted a blue with clouds on the walls, yeah. and guess what we see. The instant we walk into the room, we see blue painting or blue wallpaper with clouds. Right. It looks almost exactly like the room that we saw in that hatch back in season two. Absolutely. Or maybe it was season three. I'm not sure. All right. Then uh, I just thought it was interesting to see Lost in Delaware's signature in the forum uh, while I was browsing through. He's got the Oceanic Six, and it's got these little Polaroid pictures of of six Polaroid pictures, one of them being Blake. But uh, let's see. I want to ask you, Chef Mark, do you agree with what he's got here? Jack, definitely an Oceanic Six. I would say yes. Well, that we, well, we know for a fact because he's, he's been seen in public in a flash forward. Kate has been seen in public in a flash forward. Hugo has been seen in public in a flash forward. And they've all very purposely been splashed across the headlines. They've all been on TV. Right. So we know for a fact that it's well-known, and they've made reference in many cases, and, and, and Said, of course, as well, that these are some of the most recognizable faces in the world. If you had been in a plane crash where everyone was presumed dead at the bottom of the ocean, and somehow miraculously six or now eight people were presumed to have survived such a spectacular crash and been missing for several months and then came back alive... I would assume that you would be amongst the most famous people in the world. And it's very clear that Jack, Kate, and Hugo, at least, and Saeed possibly, have been plastered all over the the public viewing. Right. And then, so is Aaron technically one of the Oceanic Six? It hasn't been indicated as such yet. I mean, I think, you know, Hugo literally says it. I'm one of the Oceanic Six. Right. And so does uh, Saeed Gerard. He mentions it, yeah. He says, hey, you know, does the guy say, hey, do, do I know you? He says, well, you know, I was, I was a survivor of a plane crash. Right. Uh, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been indicated yet for Aaron. It and, has not. And, of course, some people have said on the forum, and I would have a tendency to agree, uh, Aaron technically wasn't on Oceanic A15 because he wasn't yet born. That's and my he, his, question. His, his name wasn't on the manifest, to be sure, and, of course, he wasn't. He wasn't born. I mean, obviously, he was a fetus. He was inside Claire at the time, but he, but as Aaron, he didn't exist yet. He didn't exist as Aaron until he was born on the island. Right. So that that is my question: is whether or not he would technically take one of the spot of the six. Now, of course, we have some people in the chat room. We have Icebird who mentions. He says, "No, I think the writers confirmed in a podcast that he is indeed an Oceanic Six. Right. And Daryl wants to say something. Yeah, my question is if Claire or if Kate is acting like Aaron is her child, you know she wasn't pregnant before she got on the island, or at least she didn't look like she was pregnant. We all know that she wasn't. So is she acting like someone on the island is the father? Well, I think that's an interesting question because it hasn't been really answered definitively what the timeline is, and I think we know for a fact that there has been. A 
quite a period passed in the real world between the time they crashed and the time they were discovered. We don't know if that coincides with how time has, trans, you know, has passed on the island. Uh, we, we as viewers have commented over and over again how, gee, time passes really mm. slow on this island. You know, it's still 2004 as far as they know. It's, it's late 2004 at this point. For us in the real world, it's 2008. So there's got to be something to do with time. They haven't given us enough clues to, to give us a, a point of reference to know how much time has passed by the time it's, uh, the trial has happened. Yeah, and, and we don't really know how much time has gone in the, in the real world. I mean, on the island, we're, we're at the, about the three-month mark. I mean, even if she wasn't pregnant enough to not be showing, like some were saying in the chat room, I'm still thinking that three months along or so, um, so if they've been on the island for three months to them, uh, then that's, you know, around six months pregnant. So the, to me, the, the, it's still not quite adding up how, how because we don't know how, how long the outside world has been going on since they've been on yeah. the island. It's just, it's not making sense yet that she could really pull this off as being her own child. And presumably, uh, it, it's, it's possible that even at the time that she was a fugitive and then apprehended and being uh, extradited, that she could have been pregnant, but no one knew it. I mean, obviously, you know, we've all had experience with uh, women not, not showing, not knowing that they're pregnant until they're pretty far along. I mean, it's, it's certainly quite possible that one could be four months pregnant and never show until you get really beyond a certain point. So it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kate could have been pregnant and then uh, started showing later on and given birth while on the island. Uh, of course, we all know the reality that, of course, this is not her child. It was, it, it's, it's Claire's child. It's, it's clearly the same Aaron that we've seen that is Claire's child. So the, the, the question really remains to be seen, well, where are they going to fill in the gaps? And I just think that it's, it's one of those things that we should, we should wait and see. As viewers, we should just let, let the writers unfold the plot and see what they've got up their sleeves. Very cool. And that, just so folks know that that was uh, Daryl from Oklahoma City that was just dialed in and, and had uh, mentioned that. All right. So it's time for some listener feedback. Absolutely. Let's do that now. Yes. Colonel Locke, is this line secure? Line secure. Go ahead. Hey, Cliff, Stephanie, Toy. This is Michelle from Texas. This is Kim from Indiana. Josh from California. Jennifer from Florida. Sam in Tucson. Kimberly from California. Paul in Memphis, Tennessee. Listener feedback. Target area is acquired. We are a go. Roger that. Hello, Cliff and Stephanie. Uh, this is Wayne from Wayne Henderson Voiceovers in Southern California. Another great episode of Lost. I know that you two are kind of torn on it. It was my second favorite episode so far this year, and my son, who's 20, it's his favorite of the year. Shocking revelations. My favorite part, well, not my favorite part, but I was geeked up when Locke uh, got the eggs and then pulled a Philip K. Dick book off of the bookshelf for old Ben to read, right out of Ben's library. I've always thought that Philip K. Dick books have a lot in common with Lost, and I just knew eventually one would appear on the show, and so I was very geeked up about that. He brought out Vallis, which is one of the last books Philip K. Dick ever wrote uh, before he died back in the 80s, and it's kind of part one of a three-part science fiction trilogy. I don't know exactly sure how it's going to play into the show just yet. The main premise is there's a science fiction writer in the story who has an experience where he doesn't know if it's God contacting him or aliens or maybe 
just a medical thing, and he's having these flashes of information coming into his head, and he goes on a search uh, for God. So we'll have to see how that really plays into the show. But I've talked on my podcast in the past about Philip K. Dick books like Ubik, uh, Maze of Death, uh, Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. These are all great books that I've always thought, if you like Lost, you would love these books. Uh, a couple of them are even more complicated than Lost, which I love the mind-blowing stuff, stuff that makes you think. Like Cliff and Stephanie's Lost podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Wayne. Right on. That's great. And I love how he keeps saying, you know, it's it's a good way to geek out because I think, you know, so much of what the what the writers throw us are really just geek out opportunities. It is. Uh, you know, and we're we're looking to really make connections where none exist, and even and if we make them strong enough, then maybe the writers are going to go with it, you know, and actually add them in. Uh, so who knows? I think they're they're clear. They have clearly throughout the history of Lost, they have given us many references, probably just in homage to. Uh, of course, they've named a lot of the characters after famous philosophers and scientists, and they've also referenced quite a few very influential writers. So I think you know it probably is is mostly that they're right. just saying these are the guys that we really love. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not it's not it's probably not uh, out of the ordinary to think that they're going to throw some uh, Lovecraft in there at some point. <laughs> Let's move on to our next caller here. Hello, Cliff and Stephanie. Oh, wait, it's the same one. Wait, that's the same one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this whole time loop thing happening here. Yeah, it's too hey, bad it wasn't. Again, this is Andrew from Salt Lake. Oh, you know what? That's Andrew, and he's got our no- news. Hey, again. So let, let's let's remember where that is. Here we go. Hi, this is Doug in Atlanta calling for the Weekly Lost Podcast. Uh, as to the question uh, last week about whether the boy in the crib was three, four, or five years old, uh, I watched the... Um, I watched the episode on ABC's site in, uh, uh, on the HD you know, streaming thing. And uh, while we usually don't see the credits much anymore because you know, TV networks just uh, uh, throw those uh, uh, off to the side while they throw, show you, uh, you know, what's coming up next, so you really can't read them. You can read them, of course, a lot better on the, uh, on the streaming when there's no uh, issue with that. And uh, what I saw there was that... The credit, they credited the actor who played the boy in the, in the bed there, but they credited him as two-year-old boy, and that's all they called him. So they didn't say Aaron. They said uh, a two-year-old boy, and that gives us his age, but they didn't really give us the confirmation that that's who it was. So anyway, just thought I'd bring that up. Thanks a lot. Very interesting. That's very interesting because I think, you know, uh, in in my estimation, he looked like a three year old boy. But hey, if they if they actually credit him as two year old boy, then yeah, he, I guess we got to go with that. There are some hefty three year old boys out there. So the, yeah, the, he's a husky boy, I yeah. guess. Is what well, well, McKenna is two years old, and and she's a petite little two year old. She's almost three, uh, and she's already up in a big, huge, gigantic big bed. So I mean, I think two years old is right. Okay. Well, yeah. So I, I think it, you know, less than the actual. I mean, I don't think that that they're literally doing a mathematical calculation of dates. I think they're doing, you know, they're they're clearly indicating that this is in the future, at least if the future as far as the island events are concerned, which very well could be our present, us viewers. Right. Uh, at any rate, what they're saying is, okay, this, you know, some time has passed. The boy has grown, and someone else is now acting as his mother. Right. That's what's important here. 
Now, of course, that brings us to just the title of the show, and maybe we should talk about this a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Certainly in the forum, there was a lot of speculation about the title Eggtown, and I know there were some disappointed people who said, hey, this title, you know, most of the titles have, uh, have had made sense according to the storyline. This one just doesn't make sense. And there were a lot of people who were really taking issue with the title Eggtown. And uh, I think we have a very plausible explanation. And as I've mentioned before about Occam's Razor, you know, when you've got two explanations, usually the simpler uh, explanation is the logical one. Uh, there is a reference to Eggtown being an expression which was used during the Great Depression when people would, you know, traveling salesmen would come and you'd sort of trade, you'd barter for goods and services. And it was generally recognized that if you bartered for eggs, that was not a good trade. Because the idea being that eggs are both perishable and pretty common. You know, if everyone had some chickens, you could get eggs pretty easily. So if you bargain for eggs, you were in the losing position in a bargain. And, uh, you know, we've got, rep- we, you know, the, uh, the episode opened with, with Locke making some eggs. And he made a point of saying, these are the last two eggs. Uh, it's an episode about motherhood, which, of course, requires some eggs. And uh, I think, you know, it's pretty simple. This is a reference to... Uh, to motherhood, to, to, to the literal eggs that we see in the episode, and the fact that, hey, some, some bargains have been made that were less than productive for the people who made them. Very good. It's much better than I would have ever come up with, Chef Mart. All <laughs> right. So we have another caller here. Hey, Cliff, Stephanie. This is James from Tennessee uh, calling about lost. Uh, i got one theory that's been mulling in my mind the last 12 hours since I've listen to your podcast concerning your initial reaction to uh, Eggtown and something that just keeps rattling around in my brain concerning the end of last season, the flash forward when Jack and Kate are meeting out there. She says she can get back to him. Some people are saying now that that's Aaron. I still think it's somebody else that she has to get back to. Uh, And as far as the man in the coffin, I do believe it is Michael. I know that's the main theory that most of my friends talk about that it is Michael. And I do believe it is Michael because I believe Michael's the one that's on the boat that's going to help them get off the island. Part of his deal is nobody, since he did kill them people, and he's the one who helps rescue them, that they cannot tell the full story because if they did, they have to confess that Michael's a murderer because he killed Anna Lucy and Libby. Uh... And since he is the one that helped them get off the island, they can't say a word about it. That's going to be the big secret that everybody keeps. They can't say that Michael's the one that helped them off. I mean, Michael's the one that done all those bad things, but at the same time, he's the one that helped get them off the island, and he's on the boat helping Ben. And then in the future, the reason he's in that coffin is because since he does work for Ben, he tries to possibly either get out of it, or the guys are trying to track Ben down or after him, and that's how he ends up getting murdered. And he's also been trying to talk to Jack because he feels guilty. He wants to go back to the island, and now Jack feels guilty. So last season's finale, the flash forward, Jack is now convinced because Michael's been killed that they must get back to the island because there's something there that Jack knows they could go back and fix everything. So... That's kind of like my little theory rattling around my brain. And uh, I guess, appreciate it. Thanks. It's an interesting theory. 
All right. That is an interesting theory. Um, I think so. But basically, when you boil all of that down, he's saying that Michael is the smoking gun. Whether or not he's really important in the in the the scheme of things is that if if it were to come out that Michael killed some people, then obviously their story that everyone everyone died except for these eight would be blown out of the water. You know, no pun intended. Uh, so that it has to be kept secret. And once Michael is dead, then the secret wouldn't has no more possibility of coming out. Is that what he's saying? You think? I you know I I, I don't know, but um, I, I, the more I think of it, I mean, of course, Michael was obviously the first person I ever thought it was in the coffin. But uh, you know, I, I'm wondering if it's even somebody that. I, I, one of the things I don't know if anybody's discussed yet is whether or not it could be somebody we've not even met yet. You know, that's an interesting. Uh hypothesis but i you know i think again i i always try to go back to the basics of storytelling and you know that would be a real deus ex machina explanation you know like the god from the machine just sort of someone appearing at the end that sort of wraps it all up and you know that's not such great storytelling or great writing you know i think in good writing you know you try to you try to indicate all the all the major uh, possibilities early on and then you you watch the storyline unfold and the result is something that was laid forth in Act One. You know, uh, in a murder mystery, for example, you know, you show a gun in Act One. You know, you better know it. You better expect that gun to go off by the end of Act Three. And I, I somehow think that if if there's so much pivotal action around this this mysterious person in this coffin, it would have to be someone we've already met. Right. Uh, I mean. We're in season four already. It, it just wouldn't make good storytelling. It would be a very sort of deus ex machina. You know, it would let them out uh, too easily, and it would end up being a disappointing uh, result, I think, for us fans who have been following all along. Gotcha. Well, hey, uh, Andrea is on the phone. Andrea, go ahead. Hi, guys. Well, I, was thinking, I still think it's um, – I, I used to think it was Michael, like almost everybody else, but my new theory is I think it's Ben. And I think that the, the way he got off the island – he probably faked that he was one of the people um, from the from the from the uh, plane crash by using some like fake documents or something like the ones that we've seen he has, and that's why the name we don't recognize it when from all the still shots of the obituary, and it makes sense that Kate wouldn't want to go see him, and uh, you know that Jack would be disturbed because he was the one that kind of was the beginning of their end, and you know <gasps> put their friends in peril of some sort in some way. I have an awesome idea. Okay, so so here's here's a crackpot theory. So it is Ben, and the teenage son is Carl, because in season five, Carl and Alex are gonna get married. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know. I mean, this is what Cliff know. is like when he has some fever. <laughs> here's the thing, uh, and I I, I I mean that's interesting, Andrea. I I don't know. I think. The question that immediately comes to mind is why would Ben want to be off the island given how dedicated he is to this mysterious work that he has to do and his, and his faith in the island and his absolute dedication to keeping the island a secret. It makes me wonder why he – I mean and it's obviously we've learned – we've since learned that he's been on and off the island a number of times. But it makes me think, okay, if, if he's – if he's there to protect the island, of course he would have gone on and off, but his main goal would to be to be on the island, that he wouldn't permanently live off the island. You're back on the line again, Andrea. 
I can, I mean, I can see that, Mark, but I think that at the same time, you know, these people, whoever it is that from the Bodies, they've found a way to find him, and he's, he's got nowhere to hide. And uh, the only one that mm. actually have his, has his back now is Locke, which is I mean, crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that, that that makes me think about is that, you know, we, we've gotten so many clues in the first two seasons that we haven't heard reference lately. And, and this, is the, this is one of those things where I have to say, okay, the writers have got to really either step it up or they've got to explain away people like Mr. Pack, you know, the Widmores, uh, the other sort of uh, corporate forces that we've seen introduced, the Hanso Foundation, you know, the Dharma Project itself. Uh, these are corporate mysterious forces that have a great deal of power and enormous resources available to them that we've seen referenced many times throughout the, the three seasons of the show and they're just there hasn't been any reference to them lately and I think they've got to, to sort of either wrap up the storyline, finish it up, explain why those people existed or they've got to you know sort of keep it in play but you can't just drop it. I, I, that would be a, a very problematic way of writing. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy is on the line. Jeremy, go ahead. Well, I had a sort of funny thought when you were saying that it might be Ben in the coffin. Is um, what if Saeed kills him? Ah. And would this be this? Uh, uh, presumably, obviously, this is after Ben stitches him up, and the idea being that maybe Saeed got tired of being his errand boy and really uh, went, I guess, went back to being the site that we see on the island and decided he could no longer uh, do Ben's bidding. Is that your idea? Exactly. Yeah, because I, I think that the flash forward at the end of season three is still the farthest in the future we've seen. Yeah, I and would agree with that. You mean um, the, the Desmond flash forward? No, um, the one with Jack and Kate, uh, Jack with oh, his full beard. Yeah, we got to go back. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and that's when, of course, we saw the ca- coffin, which means that it could be Ben in the coffin. So that would have happened after Saeed did his uh, did his little assassin bit. Right. Right. Possibly. Yeah, I could see that. All righty. Well, I tell you what, we have a couple more phone calls. I don't think we have time for all of them. I'm going to go ahead and play this one here, and then we're going to get into uh, the Lost in the News, just one little thing, and uh, um, yeah, let's do this. Hey, Cliff and Stephanie Thomas from Denver, new to your podcast this season. I wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you. Since names are often very significant to the writers of Lost, and they often draw on biblical texts, either explicitly implicitly or maybe even unconsciously, I've been thinking a lot about why they chose the name Jacob for the person or persons in the cabin. When I heard Father Roderick's theory, an idea came to mind that I'd like to share. The Jacob in the Jewish scriptures has a dream where he sees a ladder upon which angels are descending and ascending uh, from heaven to earth. If the person in the cabin is a soul trapped between two worlds and is a conduit of communication between both of those worlds, then the name Jacob begins to make sense. In this case, the two worlds aren't the heavenly world and the earthly, but rather the future world and the island. Could Jack's dad then be a soul trapped between the two worlds and used by Ben, and that's why we see flashes of him in the cabin? What about the other people that died on the island? Remember, we heard Boone's voice whispering just before Shannon died. So maybe many souls are trapped between these two worlds, and Jacob is a role 
rather than a single individual. Any of these souls could be presumably manipulated by Ben. You might have mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but Benjamin in the Bible is Jacob's last and closely protected son whose mother also died in childbirth like Benjamin Linus. And Benjamin means uh, literally son of my right hand in the Hebrew. And Ben certainly seems to be Jacob's right hand man so far until Locke threatened that. And maybe even Hurley now. Thanks for all the work you put into these podcasts. Take care. Wow. I love good. all that Hebrew scripture. Uh, and of <laughs> course, you know, it makes me wonder if we're going to have a character named Joseph at some point. Uh, because, of course, you know, Joseph and, you know, all those, all those guys were his brothers. Absolutely. <laughs> and Laban. Laban. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, I, but I mean, Joseph, of course, being the most significant figure in all of those stories um, with his coat of many colors, you know, and his brothers having killed him out of jealousy or tried to kill him anyway out of jealousy uh, for his coat. So there, I mean, I think what's great about it is that there is clearly a, a lot of deference and a lot of reference to both biblical scripture as well as literature. And I think it's just so much fun that, uh, you know, any name, we know by now that any name we got to really take seriously. We got to look at these names and analyze them because they have meaning beyond just, you know, Cliff and Mark. Absolutely. Hey, um, we're going to go to Lost in the News. Andrew called us in a little bit about an article he found. Lost in the News. And this is Andrew from Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, just called to let you guys know that there was an article about John Locke um, by the Associated Press. I found it on MSN Entertainment News. I'll email it to you, uh, Cliff. But uh, it talks about how he was kind of frustrated uh, that he had to stab, kill Naomi. I guess he didn't like doing that, and he went to the writers to try to change it. Um, like I said, I'll email it to you. Um, I also found in a new magazine called Complex, it's kind of like a Maxim magazine, uh, but without the hot chicks, but with the hot chicks. Um, <laughs> there was a, Wait a, a minute. article where uh, Jorge Garcia talked about... What's that, Chef Mark? I said, how could you be a magazine without hot chicks with hot chicks? I have no I'll, idea. I bet he means that they're not naked. That's oh, it. maybe. Gaming, and that he loves to play this Nintendo Wii, and he has gambling matches with the sports games, which could be fun. Um, it also says that he loves uh, the 360 and the Xbox Live service. So, Jorge Garcia, if you're listening, I'm the painted cow on Xbox Live. Um, and just remember, remember, everyone, that Lost the Video Game will be out next week on Wednesday. And if anyone has any questions, you guys can email me at andrewv at inwesttitle. Uh, that's in West Title, and I'll answer anyone's questions about the video game, uh, if they should get 360, PS3, or if you guys all have PCs, the game's on the PC. Anyways, love the show, and I love Sawyer's nickname, uh, Casta de Claire. Thought that was freaking awesome. All right, guys, talk to you later. Bye. All righty. Thank you Dude. for that. Dude, that was a total plug. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is I, I've, I've kind of brought Andrew on as my lost reporter to talk about coming each in each week. So that's what he's asking for. If anybody has any yeah. questions or anything like that. I know. I'm just teasing. Yeah. We're all about shameless plugs here. Hey, why not? In fact, I want to encourage people to go to the website and uh, uh, start looking for information regarding gspn.tv uh, plus membership and uh it's up on the main page now i won't say anything else about it right now because i just don't feel up to it <laughs> yeah but you get a lot of great stuff that way yeah so anyway um 
We do have uh, what's coming up on Lost, and these aren't typically spoilerific, but uh, if you don't want to know what's going on uh, at all, and you don't even watch the previews, then you may want to check out now. So here's what's coming up on Lost. This isn't what was supposed to happen. What's going to happen? You don't want to know what was supposed to happen. I know. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You know what? I'm not going to find out. Don't you want to know? This is Lost Away Bonnie from Lost.About.com with this week's Lost Preview. The next episode is called The Constant and will be on this Thursday at 9 p.m. on ABC. 9 p.m. ABC synopsis reads, Saeed and Desmond hit a bit of turbulence on the way to the freighter, which causes Desmond to experience some unexpected side effects. We'll get to see Penny again. Yay! Her father, Charles, will be in this episode as well, and we'll finally get to see, instead of just hear, that freighter guy, George Minkowski. Desmond's side effects may be that he jumps back and forth from the present to the past and or future. I don't have too much to say about this episode. I'm still reeling from the reveal that Aaron is with Kate. So, for more information, read my The Constant Guide and Preview. This is Lost Away Bonnie Koval for Lost.About.com. Wow. So there you go. Charles uh, Woodmore is going to be in the next episode. And there you go. That answers my question. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was interesting because in the, in the preview we saw at the end of the show, and I know you don't always talk about this, but we saw a little preview uh, that happened either in the helicopter or on the freighter, and Desmond was beardless. Oh, I didn't uh, think about that. Yeah, there was a moment where we saw Desmond without a beard, and the last we saw him on the island, he was definitely bearded and had a little bit of long hair. So huh. uh, we'll you know, there there could be some actual jumping back and forth, and and that, of course, we've come to expect with Desmond. So I think it would explain why it was a full day later on island time, and uh, and the freighter had seen hide nor hair of the helicopter. Absolutely. Hey, Chef Mark, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. At the very last minute, you kind of came in and and uh, took the wheel here tonight when I wasn't feeling well. So thank you so much. Well, you know how much I love uh, GSPN and the show. And it's just, it's always a thrill for me to, uh, to be on the show. So I thank you for letting me co-host. Very cool. Until next time, people, go to the website and check out GSPN uh, Plus membership. And uh, Chef Mark, say it with me. Until next time, stay lost. Stay lost. Stay lost.